Welcome to the BCP and Me, the podcast that explores the Book of Common Prayer as a manual for living out our lives. My name is Father Tyler Richards, and I am joined here, as is our tradition, with Father Joshua Nelson as we continue our journey through the Book of Common Prayer. And on this episode, we continue our journey through baptism, which I have to say has turned into quite a protracted journey. I honestly didn't think that we would get more than two episodes out of this, but uh, here we are on episode three. And Yeah, we... We, we should not try to plan ahead so much. The Holy Spirit just kind of says, no, I'm going to do my thing, whatever you all plan. <laughs> well, our, our subscribers from, you know, that get the behind the scenes tour will know that we keep these extensive episode notes and we plan out every single moment of the podcast. And, you know, it's, 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 we make a plan and then, you know, in the words of Harry Potter, it all goes to shambles in the end anyway. So. I mean, Sophie's up on our couch, just laughing at us. It's fun. Oh, well, uh, it, it's nice to know that we're, we're keeping God entertained one way or the other. Fools for God. That's our, that's our subtitle here. So, uh, okay. But the last time that we met, we had finished our Thanksgiving over the water. Yeah, we had, we had called down the Holy Spirit and prayed for the blessing of the water and getting ready for all the other bath time traditions. And this poor fool has been hanging out a long time waiting to get wet. And so, uh, but as we're, as we're moving through this service, as we're moving through this liturgy for the Thanksgiving over the water, we stumble upon an interesting sidebar in the liturgy called quite literally there is quite literally a sidebar, a sidebar. <laughs> <laughs> i did that on purpose um called the consecration of the chrism father joshua why don't you talk a little bit about the uh the oily side of our faith uh, well you know you got to be slick to get into heaven oh, um, oh boy now we're cooking with oil but anyway so uh, we have this consecration of the chrism. Chrism is a special kind of oil, you know, olive oil and a mixture of other uh, aromatics. Um, I can't remember exactly what goes into it, but it smells really good. And it's pointing us back to the anointing of kings and, and of bishops, right? Or of kings and of priests. Um, and if you take a look back at the anointing of Saul and of David and of Aaron, uh, the horn of oil was poured over their heads and it, it covered them and it dripped down their beard and down their cloak. So they were completely covered in this oil, which means that everyone could smell them. And that's one point I want us to take away from it. Another is this is where we get uh, the name uh, that traditionally has been called with, with baptism, uh, especially of infants, that is uh, uh, christening, right? Because you, you know, we have the, the baby's christening. And all that is is saying they are marked with chrism and they are given their Christian name. They are marked as Christ's own Forever, we are all marked as Christ's own forever. 
So that's my little bit of introduction for it. And so we have we have um, we have chrism in the Episcopal Church. We also have um, oil of the infirm, which is uh, which is another oil that is set apart for the use of the anointing of the sick. Um, there is the oil of the catechumens, which is an oil that is used to anoint those that are seeking to come into the faith. Um, and I understand that in some places, there are still some churches that hang on to a little bit of vial of oil of exorcism, um, which is probably a topic that is best saved for the book of occasional services in me. Yes. But the point is, is that we use these, we use these oils that have been sanctified, that have been, which is a fancy word that means set apart for a particular use, um, in, in a way to punctuate our lives as a way to literally mark our lives with prayer, um, and as a way to sort of indicate that there is something going on inside of a person that is sac that is a sacrament or is sacramental in nature. And sometimes you will go into large churches, especially if you go into a basilica or something. I know it's this way, um, Sacred Heart at Notre Dame at the university, but you will see a kind of cabinet, often either up by the altar or by the baptismal font, more often, that contains really nice um, bottles, they're not exactly bottles, but uh, containers of this oil, and there will be three, and you'll see initials on some of them, but it's this oil of the infirmed, oil of the sick for anointing of the sick, uh, the oil of chrism, and the oil of catechumens, at least. And, and they're often marked with two letters, you'll have O-I, SC was OI is oil of the infirm, SC, which is sanctichrism, holy chrism, and then uh, and then OC, oil of the catechumens. So, and there's probably some Latin there, but we're translating for for simplicity's sake. Uh, and I don't think either one of us actually do much with Latin, so <laughs> yeah, enough to get by. Only, only if it comes with music. Oh dear. <laughs> so that's that's the story of chrism and in order to make chrism you have to have what you have to have one of the guys with the big pointy hats you have to have a bishop in order to make chrism oh uh, i was gonna say a conehead well uh, i don't know of any bishop coneheads uh, we should probably move on quickly before either one of us gets in trouble here um but we, you, um, we often have a, a special service in the Episcopal Church called uh, the Chrism Mass, which occurs in Holy Week, you know, when we're not busy at all. Um, and you have the creating of chrism or the blessing of chrism and these other oils at this service, as well as a renewal of our vows as presbyters and deacons and bishops. Um, the other thing is, is that you have to have, you have to have a bishop to make chrism. And I think you have to have a bishop to make the oil of the catechumens. But priests are actually authorized to bless and uh, sanctify oil of the infirm. Uh, yes. But you have to you have to have a bishop to make the chrism. Which, if you think about if you think about the origins of baptism, if we think about the origins of of how this all started, bishops would have been present in the beginning for baptisms. It was actually the bishops that were doing all of the baptisms way back when, when the church was tiny. And still occupying one corner of the globe. Um, yes. So and, it and this is what we 
and this is why we still had technically two orders. There was just the episcopate or the bishops and the diaconate or the deacons. The presbyterate or priest came about as the church grew. It's no wonder so many priests feel like they're in middle management, but in any case. Um, so <laughs> Father Joshua will compose himself. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the consecration of the chrism. So we're going to pretend that Father Joshua is a bishop in this case. Oh, uh, I'm, no. I'm, ha I'm happy to throw him under that cathedral. And uh, the bishop would, the rubric reads, the bishop may then consecrate oil of chrism, placing a hand on the vessel of oil and saying, Eternal Father, whose blessed Son was anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the Savior and servant of all, we pray you to consecrate this oil, that those who are sealed with it may share in the royal priesthood of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And so now that we have, we have rightfully examined and prayed for and uh, given thanks over the water and have consecrated the chrism, we finally come to that moment for which we've all been pining for the baptism. Bath time. Bath time. Now, my particular area of expertise is early Christian literature. And one of the things that we want to talk about is the Didache. Now in the earliest form of Christian initiation, there was this document that existed uh, circa first, second century called the Didache, which was actually a manual for doing baptisms and a few other things, but baptisms was one of the things that it was especially concerned with. And it left pretty specific instructions for the way that you do these. Normally, the way that these were done in the early church were outside in living water. That means water that was actually flowing. So you would take someone to, I don't know, down by the riverside, sounding familiar to anybody. God named Jesus comes to the river. His cousin baptizes him. The Didache is extolling us to continue that sort of practice. If you can't have, if you can't have living water, then still water is fine, but the person is supposed to kneel down inside of the container and have water poured over their heads. It's very specific in the way that it's done. Um, and so, you know, there are still parts of the church uh, that still practice full immersion baptism, and that is a right and good and joyful thing. So long as it's done in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, it is a, what we would call a licit, a valid baptism. And let me say that in the Episcopal Church, within the BCP, immersion is assumed. Oh, that, yeah. is, that is what is first assumed. Not everybody can, can do that. Not everybody has that. So then we move on to fonts and, and the like. For those of you that are playing along with the home game, we're on page 307 in the Book of Common Prayer, down at the bottom. In the rubric there, at the baptism, in the service of holy baptism, we have come to the baptism. And the rubric reads, each candidate is presented by name to the celebrant to, or to an assisting priest or deacon who then immerses or pours water upon the candidate, saying, so-and-so, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people say, Amen. So you can immerse them, you can pour water on them. 
so long as water is touching them in one form or another. Some people like to use the seashell when it's a baby. Um, there are arguments for the seashell and away from the seashell. I like the seashell. In any case, it's fine. So long as the water is hitting them and it is being done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you have yourselves a baptized person. And, and here I'd like to say that one of the translations of that Greek for baptism can actually be marinate. So that uh, it's used more in modern context, uh, but it says, if, if you think about your baptism as that, as you are being marinated in the waters of baptism, because they stick with you, you, you take them in, they are with you always. Uh, I, I love that image. I'm sorry, I just have this image of leaving them down longer uh, so that they can soak in all of the waters of baptism. Well, my great-grandfather was a Church of God, a hellfire and brimstone preacher, and he used to say you have to hold them down till they bubble or the Holy Spirit didn't take effect. Jesus was in the tomb for three days, unless we forget <laughs> that it is in baptism that we are, re we are united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. <laughs> uh, I guess there's some symbolism to be drawn there. Uh, yeah. But in any case... So our, our baptismal candidate has now passed through the waters of baptism and has been made a new creation. And as we continue on page 308, we begin with the rubric at the top of the page that reads, when this action has been completed for all candidates, the bishop or priest at a place in full sight of the congregation prays over them saying, Heavenly Father, we thank you that by water in the Holy Spirit, you have bestowed upon these, your servants, the forgiveness of sins and have raised them to the new life of grace. Sustain them, O Lord, in your Holy Spirit. Give them an inquiring and discerning heart, the courage to will and to persevere, a spirit to know and to love you, and the gift of joy and wonder in all of your works. Amen. Amen. And so even in this, this last, what is sort of a concluding collect for baptism, we have an explanation of everything that has just taken place. Um, that by the water and the Holy Spirit, this servant has been forgiven for their sins, raised to new life in Christ, and is we're asking them to be sustained in the whole in the Holy Spirit. And that in as a part of this new life, as a part of this new creation that has come about, um that they will that they will receive an inquiring and discerning heart and the courage to will and to persevere um so we're really seeing in this this concluding collect a real acknowledgement that it's more than just a bath that an actual transformation has taken effect here and that this person that we're dealing with on the other side of the font on the other side of the trough on the other side of whatever they've been baptized in, we're dealing with a new person here. Yeah. And that this is a beginning. This is a new birth. So that uh, give them an inquiring and discerning heart. Your studies have just started. The catechism is not over. This is the beginning. Dig into your homework. Yeah, you've just become a Christian. Now it's time to learn how to actually be one. Yeah.
Um, and, and so it's after this prayer that the person is chrismated. They receive the chrism that we, that we just talked about as a cross on their forehead. Um, and the person is introduced. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. Forever. For all of you Sandlot fans at home, rejoice that we got the Sandlot reference in there. The thing about baptism is, is that it is an indel it is indelible. It doesn't matter how far afield that we go, it does matter. But it doesn't matter how far afield that we go, that mark of Christ rests upon us. It's something that can't be taken away from us. It's not something that can be undone. Once you are baptized, you are baptized. It is insoluble, I think is the word that the BCP uses. It, your baptism in water cannot be washed away. So the waters of baptism that wash away your sin cannot be washed away. Yes. So, the so salt- we baptize once. Yes. Uh, We're not Anabaptists. We don't baptize again and again and again. If you come into this church and you're already baptized in another denomination, you don't get a second bath. Um, Oftentimes when people come into the Episcopal church from another denomination, they, they have been baptized. And so the next step for them is a mark of what comes next in their life in Christ actually becomes confirmation. Or reception. Or reception if they've already been confirmed in another denomination. Um, or, well, uh, technically, so I was confirmed in the Episcopal Church. I believe, Father Tyler, you were as well, right? Correct. You were also baptized in a different Correct. denomination. Yes. At what age were you baptized? You are putting an old man to the test. Fifteen, <laughs> uh, I think I was. So I was baptized when I was seven. Both of us, technically, as many denominations would attest, at the age of what is called the age of accountability, we were making a grown-up decision to be baptized. Yes, because we were not baptized as infants. So that, technically, in the Episcopal Church, would have counted as our confirmation. So technically, we should have been... (laughs) received into the Episcopal Church because we had made an adult affirmation or confirmation of our faith. But we were both confirmed. I guess I'd never really thought about that, but what you said makes a lot of sense. I mean, because we also have to remember, and this is punting us down the road a little bit too, but we never mind doing a little bit of that work. Baptism and confirmation used to be one service. Yes. And um, the bishop was present. They baptized you. And it was a one-shot deal. Again, the church grows. Bishops are, few, are, are fewer and farther between. You know, the great story is, is that there were actually saddles for bishops that were created that had an oil stock on the horn of the saddle so that the bishop could ride through town and do confirmations as he moved through town. Without getting off the horse. Without getting off the horse. Um, Those bishops must have had very long arms. I'm not (laughs) sure how all that must have worked. Or they were just holding people up. 
in any case. Um, but in confirmation, we are making an adult profession of those promises that were made for us at our baptisms as infants. The rites have drifted. They stand apart now. Um, but that's the point of confirmation. And uh, in the pointing back to the uh, Didache and the first century church, there was this idea that you were baptized in a place apart. Uh, so a baptistry, maybe a different room in a house church. And then you were brought in. And usually this is uh, at the great vigil of Easter, the night before the Feast of the Resurrection. And you were then placed in a white robe rep representing your new life, your new body. And you were poured over in chrism not just a little mark at the time, so that when you entered into the congregation and they welcomed you as a new Christian and you went to receive your first taste of the Eucharist, they could smell the prism on you. And it, it was this, uh, all, I can't think of the word. Um, olfactory? Olfactory um, sense of the sacrament that it, it really, it touched everybody that you were a new Christian, you were a new part of this family. I and kind of think about it as, as when you get a new baby into a family, right? And everybody's like, mm, that new baby smell. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting as we talk about chrism and as we talk about this process, I actually smell chrism in my nose. And it could be because the pages of my BCP are, are stained by use. And I'm sniffing around. Actually, I can't smell any in here, but I'm smelling chrism because it has that wonderful smell that sort of leaves a mark on your consciousness. It's oh. I, I, I assume it's the same thing as like Chanel Number no. Five or, or you know, uh, a, a perfume or a cologne that leaves an imprint on on your mind. That every time you smell that, you're taken back to that place. Every oh, time you, yeah, for me it's uh, a mixture of vinegar and a, I can't remember which type, and we, you're, you know nobody's a sponsor, but a mixture of vinegar and a certain type of laundry soap. That to me is my grandmother's house, right? And whenever I smell that certain scent, I'm taken back to those moments in my grandmother's house, those moments full of love and joy and comfort and peace and how the smell of chrism does the same thing. Right now, the smell of chrism takes me back to my old nation. For me, it's pinto beans and cornbread, but I grew up in Southern Appalachia. So, <laughs> so this, this, uh, this long-suffering candidate who we have now sealed with, with chrism um, is now um, is now recognized by the assembly of the church. Remember, in normative practice, the way that baptisms are are commonly done, you want the baptism to be the principal's order or the principal service of that community, so that all of the church should be. Let me say that again: all of the church should be gathered together there. Um, not only for the promises that were made before the baptism, but also for this moment of reception. You've had this moment of, of initiation where you have been separated from your life 
transformed into something new and now you're being handed back into the community as something that has changed. And so after everybody has been baptized and everybody has been chrismated and everybody has been prayed for, we have this great moment where the celebrant priest or bishop, what have you, says, let us welcome the newly baptized. And the people cry out with a loud voice if they're following along in their prayer books or they've actually managed to keep their bulletins open at the right page. <laughs> we'll I've say. Actually, I've actually taken to put this in bold inside of my bulletin so that people's eyes will travel right to it. Yeah. We, we receive, receive you into the household of God. Confess the faith of Christ crucified. Proclaim his resurrection and share with us and his eternal priesthood. So as part of this welcome for the newly baptized, the church says, we receive you. Get to work. Yeah. Confess the faith, proclaim his resurrection, and share with us in the eternal priesthood. There's stuff to do. Okay, you're here now, so we got to get moving. Because the gospel of Christ is traveling out into the world, and it's traveling on your feet and being carried by your hands. It's why, it's why baptism is, is simultaneously this ultimate mark of hospitality and also this ultimate taking on of a responsibility. There's nothing about our baptisms that is casual. It is not just a rite of passage. So often baptism gets trumped up and gets portrayed as just something you do. And I, I can't tell you I've I've done more I've done more splash and dash baptisms than I am comfortable admitting to. Where someone brings in their child, we want to baptize our child. Great. You meet with them, you talk to them about the implications of baptism. Meet with them two or three times, you set the date for the baptism, you come, you baptize the baby, and then you never see them again. Yeah. And that's as Father Joshua said earlier, that's not where the story ends. This is just the beginning of the story. This the baptism is the prologue. Yeah, it, baptism is not a magic trick key to get into heaven. No, no, there's absolutely so, not. There's so much, and and I'm I'm noticing this a lot with our evangelical brothers and sisters, particularly in America today that we've almost kind of gone back to this medieval mindset of things done in church or in our Christian faith that are like magic tricks. Like, let me, you know, for a bad example, because no Baptist would ever be caught gambling, right? But let me pray over the poker chips and then I'll win. Um, or <laughs> pray that nobody sees me in the liquor store, right? Uh, or, and this may cause some controversy, but the Holy Spirit activate, which just drives me nuts because if I, you know, if I say this chant or something, then these things will happen. That's not how this works, folks. You are called into relationship. You are called to be the bride of Christ and you are called to be the body of Christ. It's your hands and feet. God is not pulling rabbits out of hats. Um, and so our, our baptisms have to be more than just something that we just do. 
They have yeah. to be more than just what what has essentially been portrayed as a social expectation. Or or a gate. Or a, a, a gate that we are using to keep people out. That is not the case. And it's it's never it's never meant to keep people out. That's that's not it and the the elephant in the room, the ongoing argument about what baptism is, is it is the ultimate mark of hospitality for God, from God to us saying, come and be a part of me. It doesn't matter what you're coming out of. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. It doesn't matter what your life has been like. God still calls to us and says, enter into my life through the waters of baptism. Make a commitment to me. Make a commitment to me and become part of my family. And the education it's, that goes with it. The yes. Edu- the learning, the, that ongoing, uh, um, oh shoot, where is it? You're talking uh, about the, the inquiring and discerning heart. Yes, the inquiring and discerning heart that then from that point continues. That, That's that what our, it's about. That our faith might deepen that our faith might might grow more dear to our hearts and that this gospel that we carry within us as citizens of the kingdom of God will continue to sustain us and will continue to hold us up and to help us to persevere. And as the prayer says, and a spirit to know and to love God and the gift of joy and wonder in all of God's works. There's nothing here that speaks about gatekeeping. No. There's nothing inside of this rite that says you can't come in. If we if we move away from that most powerful of all images, which is the sinless, perfect, incarnate God, leaving the splendors of heaven, coming down to earth, growing up inside of a mortal frame, and then marching into the waters of the river Jordan to enter into baptism. Not because he had to, not because there was something wrong with Jesus, but because Jesus was throwing in his lot with ours. And he's asking us to meet him in the water. Wade in the water, children. I can say that because I'm from the South and I grew up in that tradition. Jesus is calling us to meet him in the water so that the same thing that happened to Jesus might happen to us. The Holy Spirit descends upon us. God says to us, this is my child in whom I am well pleased. It's, it's such an entrance into a deeper life, and it is literally one of the most hospitable things that we do in the life of the church. It is not meant to keep anybody out. I, I, I think that and this is probably getting into more of a scholarly argument than an actual applied theological Go ahead, I'll bring conversation. it back. You'll bring it back. You know, the prayer, <laughs> book, the prayer book recognizes that there are four days that are particularly appropriate for baptism in the life of the church. That doesn't mean it's the only day you should do them. There's this great story from Scripture about Philip, who is carried away in the spirit and is dropped on this road as this 
Ethiopian eunuch is riding by in his chariot, reading the gospel, reading the scroll of Isaiah. And Philip sees this and understands that he has been called by God into this moment to encounter this person. And he runs up to him and says, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch scoots over in his chariot and says, no, but come on up and you can tell me all about it. And Philip shares with him the meaning of the Isaiah scroll and what it is that he's reading and shares with him the gospel of Christ and and tells him that, you know, he should repent and be baptized. And as they're riding along, they come to this body of water in the Ethiopian eunuch, who was actually a high court official, um, has the chariot stop. And he he looks at Philip and says, here there is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? And I swear it was probably a foot race between Philip and the Ethiopian to get to the bottom, to get to the body of water. He was so excited to rush into the waters of baptism that while there are four days in the church here that are particularly appropriate to do a baptism, there's 365 days in the calendar year when the waters of baptism should be able to be prepared to bring someone into the faith. And it's our job as the church to tend and to nurture that pathway to make sure that the door is standing wide open, that all of those who are seeking God or a deeper knowledge of God can have the easiest path possible to come into that kingdom through the waters of baptism. Here endeth the lesson. Now, to come back, but not really to come back, but to expand. It is at this point then that I think we can take the words of Paul, that we cannot continue in our life simply drinking milk. We have to learn and grow and age in our faith, moving from that point of new birth, then, then, once we are able, we begin to eat meat and bread, body and blood, bread and wine, right? Moves us into Eucharist, which will be our next episode. But you can't start somebody out on meat. No. They, they won't be able to mentally digest it. So we begin with baptism and we begin with milk and then we grow. I think one problem in the church, especially in the American church, is that there has been an absence of education, which is one reason, Father Tyler, that you and I are doing this podcast. It's the whole catechism. That's that's the right. whole point of that's the whole point of the BCP and me. We are not we are not funded by church publishing to promote the sale of the 1979 Book of Common Prayer. We get no kickbacks from Scott Gunn, although if he's interested, I'm willing to receive. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that the the beating heart of this this podcast, the reason we started this three seasons ago, is so that so that our lives can be deepened by the exploration of these texts so that our, our faith can be nurtured and our faith can be, can be given a trellis in which to grow on. 
by exploring the deepness and the richness of a faith that is as old as the church itself. And because we have had an absence of that, we have gone a generation or more in failing on teaching the tenets of our faith and just kind of presenting the, here's your PowerPoint presentation, get through it quick. Well, we've and it's not gone, we've not dug deeper and the church has suffered for it. And it's, it's, one, of the, go it's, ahead. One, of the, it's one of the reasons why you end up with confirmation courses that last three weeks. Okay, and all and you that come to confirmation and come to their baptism and don't do anything else. You never see them again. All you have to know is the church was started by King Henry VIII. There was an American Revolution, and then the Episcopal Church started. By the way, the church was not started by Henry VIII. There was more that came before Henry. The reason we did have a name change is because of the American Revolution. But there's so much more that goes on underneath. And, and because, of, because of a generation, possibly two generations, that just assumed that everybody that was going to be a Christian was already a Christian and didn't yeah. need to know this, our faith has suffered. Yeah, we were blinded by the myth of Christendom. And, and now that Christendom is dying, you heard it here first if you haven't before, now that Christendom is dying, the church is being released to be able to actually teach what the faith is, to, to call people back to the, to the true practice of this faith and to its depth. But we do that through education, not through, not through the hope that through osmotic forces that, you know, the faith is just going to seep into somebody's brain through the singing of the hymns and the reading of liturgy. There are, thing, there are things that you have to sit down and learn. And thanks be to God, there is a whole generation of priests outside of Father Joshua and I that are rising up and are saying, we need to teach this faith. We've got to do this so that people can have a richer not so that people can have a richer experience of the Episcopal Church, that's a nice byproduct, but so that people can have a richer experience of the God that has created them, has redeemed them, and continues to love them. Yeah, and, and this is the BCP and me, and we are looking at the words and the traditions that have been handed down to us in the Episcopal Church. But as we have both said before, we are not cradle Episcopalians. This is about deepening your faith. Whether you are an Episcopalian, um, a Methodist, anything, Church of God, Muslim, Jew, just having an understanding of the faiths that are around us and our uh, relationships with each other and digging in deeper in our relationship with God, however you may enter into that. That is what is most important to us. And uh, this, I think, my friends, is where it is safe for us to say, some may call it a prophecy, but it is safe for us to say, this is what real revival is. This is where it starts. And, uh, and we hope that all of all of you who enjoy the podcast, all of those of you whom we have met, who have met us through big provincial gathering or have met us at friends ordinations or who have met us at God only knows where, uh, that this, this journey is bringing you deeper into your faith, into a deeper appreciation, not only of this text, but of the life that is yours to live in Christ wherever you find that to be. Um, 
just like just like the rest of the church, we're not trying to build a gate here. We're trying to welcome people in. And uh, however you arrive with us, we are glad that you are part of us and that you are searching and seeking fervently for God, just like we are. Just because we're ordained doesn't mean that the journey has ended for us either. Um, and so here we are all together. And so having reached the end of Holy Baptism, three episodes later, Father Joshua, we come to that moment where we transition into the next, into the next part of the service. And so this is a good place for us to call it an episode, I think. So, Father Joshua, if you would bid the peace. Peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you. And we'll see you next time on the BCP and Me.